Welcome to the Ocean Cruises podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Michael and Joel from the YouTube channel Bums on a Boat. Michael and Joel come from Washington State where they both met. Joel bought their vessel with his brother and friends and then sailed it to Cuba prior to Michael joining as crew. They both performed a major refit to get the boat ocean-worthy and ready to sail it back to its original home port in Greece. Michael and Joel live life to the fullest, push the boundaries and always challenge themselves. They take each day as it comes and learn as they go, inspiring and entertaining their viewers and followers. We talk about how they first met, what they did prior to living aboard, how they earn money, their journey so far and what's in store for the future. You can learn about Michael and Joel on their YouTube channel Bums on a Boat. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I just you just whipped yeah. that out trying to. I know he's cool. got no. He, I know he just basically because doesn't make any off. sense with his. Uh, it just looks like a, a little three-year-old made it. Yeah. It's crazy. He's, he's regarded as like this world famous artist. And we went to this museum and we we really wanted to like him because he's from the town where we moved to in Spain. So we were like, oh, we'll go and see this Picasso museum and pay some respects to the heritage of the city or whatever. And we're walking through and we're like, wow, this is dog shit. This is so bad. <laughs> like, there's just these giant murals. And it's like, it's like if somebody just OD'd on acid for like a year that this is the brain that this is like the type of art they'd make um do you know if he was into that stuff probably i mean there wasn't there's not much to do here so if he had access to like good lsd i imagine he probably would have taken it <laughs> i suppose it, and he was around in the 60s when like there, there was absolutely nothing to do so yeah i imagine oh, yeah. so maybe so wh whereabouts are you now where in the states are you we're in uh eastern washington state whoa that's mm -hmm. a bit of a transition in terms of weather. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's chilly. I mean, it's 60 yeah. degrees Fahrenheit, but it's really cold. For it's us. cold. It's been well, over 60 years. degrees in um, centigrade. Oh, I'm not Ooh, sure. That's a good one. So 40. What's my guess? 20? Oh, you know the calculation. That's impressive. I know 40 was 100. Yeah. So it must be 20 or less. Oh, that's okay. Maybe less than that even. It's it's really not bad, you know? It's yeah. just like there's no humidity and we're so used to that that it's just like... It's not it's the Caribbean. Way different, yeah. No, we're not in the Caribbean anymore, <laughs> mate. Yeah. How did you end up up there? Well, it's where both of our families are from. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and as I, yeah, it's been two years now mm -hmm. since we've seen any of them. No way. Is that like specifically due to COVID or did you just not plan on getting back anytime soon anyway? No, we were definitely going back last summer. My yeah. sister was going to get married last summer and she ended up putting it off till this summer. Oh. So, and we could have gotten back, but we were so worried about being locked out of the DR and not getting back to our boat that we didn't yeah. leave. And it ended up being really good that we stayed because we sat out a hurricane and the boat slipped and we were there to save it. So... It's a good deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good deal. <laughs> Is she yeah. doing the wedding this year? Yeah. That's yeah. going ahead. That's yeah. the yeah. main reason why we're back. And then right. we're going to see as many family members and friends as we can. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully not go back to the cold for like another two years. 
at least. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. like, come visit us next time. It'll yeah. Be <laughs> Much better. Have you not yeah. been barraged with visitors? Because didn't your sister come to visit you a while back? Yeah, my sister her. visited. My sister oh, visited yeah. us in St. Thomas, uh -huh. uh, the Virgin Islands. Yeah. And before yeah. that, uh, we had a couple visitors in Dominican Republic in Lupron. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, my uh, my family visited us like three years ago for Christmas in Lupron, which is a re really rural area of the DR. Mm. And I think that was a little bit too much culture shock for them <laughs> where they're like not sure they want to come visit anymore. Yeah, they, they like the uh, all-inclusive uh, hotels and yeah, that part of it's nice. The resort's kind of a yeah. vacation and that's not what they got when they visited us in Lupron. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went there when I was like, I think I was 19. So I was fresh on the scene. Like I was 19. I was a bit cocky. You know, I enjoyed going out. And um, yeah, it was these all inclusive hotels that were advertised. And um, it was mostly Canadians that were there, actually. There wasn't that many American people there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we, we got to this all inclusive resort. I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. And all the people seem really friendly, like all the staff that works in the uh, hotels. So, um, a couple of guys invited us out. They were like, oh, come to like our local nightclub and stuff in town. So I was like, oh yeah, like we'll meet your friends. And like, oh my God, that is the most dangerous night <laughs> I've ever experienced in my life. I had two different people point guns at me. Oh um, and one of the guys who pointed a gun at me uh, ended up being friends with the bouncer. And then the bouncer came over to me and he was like, well, what problems are you starting? I'm like, mate, he's got the gun. I'm, just, I'm not starting a problem. <laughs> like, what the heck? So, uh, yeah, we ended up getting kicked out. I don't know how, because I got a gun pointed at me. But, um, yeah, it's Yay. the country is gorgeous. Like, it's in terms of, like, the scenery and the wildlife, it's beautiful. But, yeah, flipping heck, yeah. it's dangerous when you get to some spots. That's yeah, sure. yeah, we spent two years there, you know, and we, we ended up traveling a lot by motorcycle through mm -hmm. the mountains, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. We drove from Luperon to Capcana, which is, it's, it's like, the, the north, pretty much across West the country to the southeast side of the country and it was like a seven hour car drive yeah and that was the craziest drive i've ever done in my life yeah we had like one near-death experience which i thought was pretty good just was one. It like your fault or someone else well so it's a two-lane road we're going pretty quick and mm -hmm. there's a car right next to me and this semi just just noses right out and and, and right in front of both both of us, you know, at full speed, we're doing like 70 miles an hour and he just pulls out and starts turning and you have like a couple seconds to think. Mm -hmm. And there was a motorcycle to my left, which wasn't even in a lane. He was in the bike lane. It's just a little tiny skinny lane. And then there's, you know, a cement block there. And so I was in the left lane. And so I decided, I mean, I sped up. And, and I got over just to try to go because I knew the car next to me was going to just get behind me at full speed. You know, they don't really stop. Mm. So I, I was afraid to hit the brakes because I thought that, yeah. that then this guy would hit me on the yeah. side. So I actually, and you only have a couple seconds, I floored it and just got over and everybody started freaking out because they didn't know I saw the guy on the motorcycle because there was a guy right <laughs> next to me. And so we're pinching. And, and I mean, I just, it was close, you know, hit that guy came out and I just saw, you know, we didn't hit, we didn't touch, but I thought maybe the window was going to break or something, mm. you know, the little rear view mirror or Good reaction. Yeah, the, side mirror. the side mirror sticking out and we made it and poor Maria, my sister-in-law 
um, she put her headphones on and started listening to Eckhart Tolle. If you've heard of him, yes, she she put these like noise canceling and she just went into her own world and she was like breathing and she wasn't looking just at anybody up when they get back. for the whole trip. I can yeah. hear the little bell and I can yeah. hear his voice. I knew she was listening to him. Yeah, it was pretty stressful. But if you would have break, we would have been screwed. Uh, it's hard to say. You know, you don't you don't have very well. You're alive. Don't dwell on it. Suppose. Yeah, it is. The roads are pretty crazy. I remember on a couple of times when we did like some excursions when we were there. Like um, you're in a taxi, so I suppose the taxis like have to stop at traffic lights because they are foreigners. Um, but a lot of people just don't. So you get to the lights and it's like, it's just red. And there's loads of cars on either side of you. They're just keeping on going. Like, <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. yeah. I watched a documentary. Um, I think it was like last week and it was about St. Thomas in the Caribbean. And oh, there's yeah. quite a lot of people saying it's like one of the most beautiful islands in the world. Yeah. We I think so. Yeah. We agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. of the islands that we've seen, it's like top for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So it looks yeah, pretty secluded. Like there's not a massive amount of commerce there, but it just looks super pretty. Like the beaches mm -hmm. look stunning. Yeah, and really, it's St. John is the place, and it, it's a, it's about three miles from St. Thomas, and it's part of the the American Virgin Islands. Yeah, and St. John is two thirds national park, so it's right. all protected. And St. Thomas yeah. is uh, really developed. You know, there's. There's a lot there. It's more developed. I it's would busy. Say. There's way more to do, I guess, in terms of nightlife and yeah. Um, but still, there's some amazing beaches. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. What do was the you... documentary? Oh, it's just a random thing on YouTube. When when I do my work, I I I put something on that looks nice. I'm like, oh, there's a cool beach, or that looks like a cool boat. I put it on, and then twenty things come on after it eventually you end up on a topic that's like way far off what you originally started watching but yeah one yeah. of these things that popped up was about that island and i just glanced up i was like oh wow it is it is really really pretty and it's not one you hear of that much when you hear about you know beautiful caribbean islands and stuff like that yeah true and and for us so our hailing port uh of the boat is saint thomas virgin islands mm -hmm. and we yes. bought it in florida mm -hmm. so we we didn't change the name and we always had like this idea we wanted to go back to where the hailing port was, but we really didn't know St. Thomas was going to be like that until we pulled in. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. What, it was so just explain the, um, the story, I suppose, from the beginning, because it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, wild. <clears throat> you take it away. It starts with my brother who, <clears throat> my brother read the book, Sailing the Farm mm -hmm. and uh, we had a friend, Jared, that went to high school with my brother. They're both uh, three years younger than me. And we were all roommates and we were in the golf industry at the time. And we got this idea, kind of started with Tony, that we wanted to buy a sailboat and travel the world, live on it. And at that time, we were really into sustainability. And I think our motives were a little different than now, you know, uh, my personal motives at this point. But we went for it. And so we both, all three of us worked really hard, stayed in a little tiny apartment with no furniture. And uh, in about a year and a half, we were ready to go to Florida. And we all went to Florida. We you know, sold everything, just took what we needed, we thought we needed. And we bought a boat in one week of being in Florida. 
and there's a lot of really cool things that happened within there you know i'm trying to give like the real quicker version here yeah. but we bought the boat <clears throat> we had uh you know we took three sailing lessons with the professional in um it was in uh, san diego bay okay keith, captain keith charters to this day he's still like the top of my list as far as sailors go and the way he taught us was amazing and so we had we you know we did take a couple lessons and we read we read some books <clears throat> and then uh, we bought this boat after looking at like six boats in person okay and we bought it for ten thousand dollars and uh it's been a roller coaster like right when we bought it there was some problems with the engine and you still you know, have some problems with the engine, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So that's we bought it with no survey, and we did not do a sea trial. Hmm. We didn't even have him turn the engine over. Okay. So there's some lessons for people listening situation. here, I think. Huh? Yeah. There's some lessons for people listening here, I think. There are, there are yeah. for sure. Um, there's like there's some really, there, you know, if for this exact boat though, there was there was some circumstances where you couldn't really. He was having a hard time selling it for that reason because he wasn't from Florida. So okay. he was trying to sell it. Um, I don't know where he was at exactly, but he was on the phone trying to sell it. Um, but there was, you know, we had looked at boats and we had, we were really basing it on intuition at that point. And it's been five years. And I really think, uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I maybe would have liked a bigger boat at this point in time, but we're making this one work and it's seaworthy. Yeah, yeah, it really it's is. a big thing. I mean, it's got you far. I know, like, you did your refit on it, so you put a lot of effort into it, but it's got you quite a few places. In yeah. Life. So, yeah, it's worked. And it's made it through some some pretty strong winds, you know, some yeah. tough weather. couple knockdowns. couple knockdowns. <laughs> yeah, so for $10,000, yeah, 10, even if you had a few problems, even if you, I mean, to be honest, if that engine was in perfect working condition, it would be worth $10,000 by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a Volvo Penta MD2030, yeah. and, and we've, uh, it's, you know, people have been giving us some grief a little bit because we're doing the thorny path. We're going dead east. Hmm. And so since we've left Luperon, we've had to motor and you don't have to motor. But if you really try to sail that, it, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you're yeah. going against the current and the waves yes. and the wind. So, I mean, other people that try to go from Florida to like Grenada, um, if they want to sail it, they do different routes, you know, up to Bermuda then down to Puerto Rico and then straight across. Mm. But there are longer passages, you know, weeks, week at a time or longer. Or like Maddie and Herbie, where you cross the Atlantic in order to go with the wind the whole time. They do everything. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like those guys just do everything. Yeah, yeah they so do. Funny. There's like, yeah. he's, he's a really, really competent sailor. Like yeah. he, he knows what the oceans do all over the world. There was one video and he was like, oh, let's, let's see what the weather is going to be like today. And he just popped his head out and looked around. He was like, oh, we're going to have these types of waves. We're going to have this. I'm like, that's insane. Like, how, how much do you have to just like stare at clouds to be able to understand what's going to happen for 24 hours? But um, he's right. Like he knows it. He's so knowledgeable when it comes to that type of stuff. Yeah. So how, how old were you when you decided to do this? So I was 27. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, 27. And I remember we sailed into Cuba when I was tw- uh, 29. Right. just before my 30th birthday and so that was big for me to get there before 30 for some reason mm. and um, right after Cuba is where Michael comes in so I'll let her 
continued from there. But, you know, we, we spent six months working on the boat. We sailed three days from straight. That was our first passage. It was pretty crazy. We followed a cold front and we made it to Key West from St. Petersburg. And we just did the straight shot. From there, we went to Cuba. We got hit in a pretty bad squall going to Cuba. And uh, that plus the Cuba experience, um, for whatever reason, my brother and my friend Jared decided they were done. At that time, they weren't sure if they would be back or not, but they were like, we definitely want to leave the boat, mm. go back home. There was, you know, there's a lot of other storylines going on with each of them. But for me, I stayed on the boat by myself, um, kept the dream alive. I ended up working. I had to leave the boat on anchor in Key West, which is crazy. It's one of the wildest anchorages still to this day that I've been in because it's uh, completely exposed and you know it's 30 feet deep usually everywhere you go and there's some crazy currents that overpower the wind so yeah. your boat does all sorts of weird things yeah um, there's not the really boat... any protected anchorages in key west it's just like a plop of sand so the wind changes and it's going to get you yeah there's when you get certain winds i mean you look as far you can look straight to cuba and you know and, and yeah, yeah. there's nothing really in between you and cuba or so you know, for the, the fact that the boat, I remember leaving it on anchor because that's all I could do at the time. I had to go make some more money. So it was just kiss the boat and I hope you're back here. I did the best I could and and the boat was still there when I came back. And, um, you know, here and there doing some work and trying to find, figure out my life. And then uh, Michael came into the picture mm. um, and joined the boat. The sail over to Cuba, that was, you put some videos, you've got some videos online of that one. I can probably understand why your your friends would back out. That looked like quite a rough sail, and you didn't have a spray hood on your boat neither. Yeah, right. And 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 really, it's not knowing what boats can handle. And since it was our first time out, you know, when you think you're going to die, it doesn't matter if you're actually about to die or not. Yeah, when you really think, believe yeah. it, <laughs> you're you're going to die. You think this is it? It's it. Yeah. And that's that. You know, now knowing what boats can handle and knowing, you know, sea conditions and things, squalls, they come. But for us, we didn't know how long that storm was going to last. Yeah. And the lightning and we're thinking if this keeps up for much longer and eventually it does pass, you know, but that. Yeah. If you don't, if you've never been through, if it's your first time and you end up stuck in a pretty bad storm, it can be scary. And Especially if you haven't got much experience in the middle of the night. you don't know what it can handle. Yeah, yeah. Right, and the, and the GPS was fritzing out and our radio didn't work. We actually made aid. Hmm. Yeah, so, and I'm glad that our radio, I found out later doing work that we had a bad connection. Um, when, I, when I was, you know, just going through the boat, the radio connection for a VHF was like taped. It was like twisted and, and had tape around it. So right. I, I disconnected and did a proper connection. And then I was able to uh, reach out. But when we were trying to use the radio, it would just shut off. There was, there was no response. So we weren't getting out to anybody. And we so had our SOS. Way, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. We had our SOS on the inReach. And we almost hit it. And Jared was the one who talked us off the ledge. Hmm. And he was the one that was getting rest down below while Tony and I were up top. Right. And so I remember saying, all right, well, let's let Jared get up here. And if he still doesn't want to SOS, then that's fine. 
and I was so exhausted. I went down and passed out just immediately. And I was just covered in, I was soaking wet and I left everything on and I just laid down and was out. So. The story sounds like a bit of a joke. It's just like, oh, me and these two guys and like Tony had an idea and then we went to Florida and then we went to Cuba and we got stuck in this storm. <laughs> so yeah. it's like a, some dudes walked into a bar type of joke. Well, it's really good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a so, steep learning curve. It's yeah, but it was. Yeah. So, Michael, how did you end up getting involved in this idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I knew Joel from before, so we knew each other for a few years before he went and got the boat with these two. So we both golf, like that was our passion before sailing, basically. And we worked at the same golf course. And I still remember that summer evening sitting in the apartment with them where they're like outlining their plan. We're gonna go to Florida. We're gonna buy this boat. We're gonna sail away. We're gonna live on it, live on uninhabited islands. We're gonna fish. And all of this was like, totally foreign concept to me Mm. i mean growing up on a wheat farm in eastern washington i was like you can live on a boat people (laughs) and i was just blown away that they wanted to do this but i was also a little bit inspired and meanwhile i'm still going to school um so they're off having these adventures and i'm like the bum's biggest fan i'm watching all their videos i'm like this is the coolest thing these guys are crazy they're adventurous this is awesome And I came up with this idea that I wanted to get a van and have some adventures of my own. So that's the path that I was on when Joel calls me up kind of just out of the blue. We'd been in touch, but not that often. We were kind of just doing our own thing. And yeah, he asked what was going on with me. And I said, oh, I'm going to get a van. I'm going to go climb mountains. I'm going to have like this awesome adventure. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm about to go cruise around the Bahamas and I could use some crew that's something you'd be interested in. And I was I like, oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. That must be like the best pickup line ever. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, you want to cruise around the Bahamas? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, at Honestly. the time, I thought I was going to be in the Bahamas and like, a month, I like, it, I had a time, like a schedule. My brother and uh, at, at the time, I think they had not even been married yet. No, they were married. Your brother and Maria? Yeah, were they? No, they weren't married yet. Yeah. No, so they were flying to the Bahamas and they were going to Freeport. Okay. And they're like, Joel, will you meet us there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Oh, yeah, easy. I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, three weeks, I'm going to be in Freeport. And so that's why I'm telling Michael, yeah, you fly here and then we're going to sail to Freeport. And of course, that didn't even come close to happening. I mean, <laughs> by the time we make it to Miami, we're like two months behind, you know, when we were supposed to be at Freeport. Almost yeah. sank the boat on the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, so when I flew to meet up with Joel, like we were pretty um, explicit. There were boundaries. We were not a couple. I was going to have an adventure of my own on his boat. And it was very... Can I interject one thing? Oh yeah. I, I also said I think this was a great opportunity for her to write and yeah. and to to fulfill her passion, what what I thought was her passion. Mm-hmm. So I, it wasn't like just sail the Bahamas. I I knew she wanted to be a writer, and I knew that she wanted yeah. to have adventures. You know, it's so also I, the romantic. It's an opportunity for you to get mm-hmm. content. I think if you come out here, you're gonna have plenty to write about. Which is an even better pickup. And you're gonna line, have an adventure. Honestly. Yeah. So it wasn't just yeah. sail around with me to the Bahamas. I did have a little more. Just imagine in this, like you've got a guy calling you up. He's like, oh, come sail around the Bahamas. You can write books with me. You can do this. 
it's dream guy you know <laughs> oh, yeah. very good proposal right? so i was hooked and i had yeah. no idea what i was getting into of course and yeah on the way from marathon where i met him to miami of course the engine still isn't working properly it's uh clogged up in the exhaust and so what ended up happening, we're both up top, just kind of motor sailing along. And I go down below to plant some sprouts or whatever. We are sprouting on the boat and I step into ankle deep water and I'm just like, oh, Joel, something's not right. You better, you better come take a look at this. The boat's sinking. Even if you don't have experience on boats, you know that that's probably not correct. <laughs> <laughs> go down to check on your sprouts and you end up stepping in water. <laughs> Yeah. What was yeah. up there? What what went on there? It was a it was a perpetual problem where our exhaust elbow, we had a, a high rise elbow that comes out of the back of the engine and it mixes the air and the water, the salt yeah. water, and then it goes out of the back of the boat. So that thing was clogged when we bought the boat and we we used a hanger, but it, because of the shape of it, we weren't able to take it apart first of all. So um, we just kind of tried to unclog it. Well, that thing never really was unclogged. And so what would happen is when you'd run it at too high RPMs, the water had nowhere to go. So it would back up. There's a boot on the back of the, uh, what's that called? It's like the, the radiator, the heat, well, the heat exchanger, but the heat exchanger goes into the manifold. The manifold. And the manifold has, has the antifreeze. It's like fresh water cooling. Yeah. So that's the closed cooling system. No water comes in or out of that. It just circulates. But when you'd run it, the salt water would back up and it would blow this boot open and get into that, into where the, the antifreeze is. Right. And, you know, the, and then so it then it would overflow into the overflow tank, mm -hmm. you know, which it's designed uh -huh. if the engine gets hot, it's designed, you know, for that. The, the water kind of goes into the overflow tank and when it cools down, it goes back in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the salt water was constantly just flooding in there. So it would get into the overflow tank and then it would just start spraying out. It was a literal geyser. All over the engine. And so it was salt water. Salt water was literally, so, you know, the impeller were sucking water up into the engine and it's not having it to go boat. and it's just spraying out into the boat. And that's what happened for like an hour and a half without knowing it, it was just down there dousing the engine and it filled up the boat. And luckily, you know, when we found it and you turn the engine off, then you stop taking water on. Yeah. So that was nice. And we pulled our sails and I told Michael, hold this heading. And we were in Hogs Channel, so you don't have very far to tack before you have to tack again. So mm -hmm. I'd I'd get her set and I'd run down and I had a little hand bilge and I'd pump into a bucket and then I'd see we have to tack and, you know, we tack and I just. I would. Did that until we got <laughs> out of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> We made, it to, we made it to the next anchorage. Yeah, it's great that you're still alive after all of this type of stuff. What so what was it? You just needed a new um, exhaust elbow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eventually well, that's what we did. We just got a brand new one. But we kept fighting that one for a long time after. Like yeah. we we, yeah. we put it in muriatic acid yeah. and gunk would come out of it. And we just kept trying to make that one work. At the time, we were on a really limited budget. I mean, we still are, but we were really limited back then. So that those elbows are like nine hundred dollars, thousand dollars. Yeah. Is, for the, just, is it the normal one that like bends down ninety no. degrees? Oh, because that's I've, what I've we ended up end. getting, which is way cheaper. But yeah, to replace like a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. 
No. Yeah, to replace the one that we had was like $1,000, which is what we thought we needed to do because we didn't know enough to know that we could just get the 90 degree mm. little thing. And we we're like, oh God, that's not going to happen. So. Well, we figured because that was on the boat, it must need it. Mm-hmm. Mm. It wasn't until we did a lot of research and poking around that we realized the boat will be fine with the 90 degree elbow. Yeah, I've yeah. kind I've kind of made it a point when it comes to servicing to take that off at least once a year and just dip mm-hmm. it in the acid and clean it out, then repaint it. Um, I took mine off like about six months ago and it's it was two years old and the engine hadn't done that many hours. And the the hole on the top where the water, um, I can't remember if it's, yeah, it's the water that goes through the, the hole on the top or is it the mm-hmm. exhaust? I can't remember, one of the, the two. Water, yeah. yeah, it was probably like five millimeters in diameter that's how much space was actually left and that was that was only after two oh, years no. was it like yeah. black black it was like black yeah it was no. yeah it was just like carbon just build mm-hmm. up um so yeah you need to take that off and then you have to like clean inside the exhaust area inside like the engine block as well but um yeah it's a little temperamental point on on one of those engines so you're alive. That's yeah. Not- yeah. And, and, <laughs> and 90 degree is even crazier. You know, if you've seen it, it comes out and it snakes up and then it down and then it comes up again before it goes out. So that's, you know, you, you can't even clean that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You just have to dunk it in the acid and then just shake it around. You hope it. Yeah. But you see, you can't take it apart to see yeah. it. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know about that design. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Is that sorted now then? So the engine actually fully works on the boat because i know you did some work on it just recently as well the engine is a legend these days the engine has saved us um a couple times for sure yeah Mm. i mean they're an amazing engine like it's a it's a 10 to twenty thousand hour engine no problem if you service it and it's not too old um Mm. yeah they're really really good yeah we did a big rebuild right before we left the looper on um due to some due to a crazy mistake we made which ended up working out but the engine ran very well after that Mm -hmm. i mean every time we needed it yeah we're still tracking down a couple oil leaks but it's running great yeah Yeah. just the oil leak that's the one thing but man she she ran very good we needed her to do all that easting Mm -hmm. so when did okay so michael you you came on board probably a, a few years ago now I think. Yeah, it was early 2018. Okay, right. And when, when did you make the decision that you wanted to have a life on a boat? Was that did you was it related to Joel or was it more related to you just love the lifestyle of sailing around? Um, it was both for sure. Like after that experience where we nearly sunk the boat, but we handled it and we actually made it to Miami. Like Joel and I were. You know, we decided that we were a couple at that point, that things were working out good and we liked working together and all of that. Um, I'll tell them the exact story. What? Well, I asked her, I asked her quite plainly if she wanted to be my girlfriend, just one of the like corniest lines ever, you know, Mm. while, like while we were, and during that day when the boat was sinking, (laughs) she handled it so well. She was so level-headed. She's still to this day, like, it's, it's just the way she is. But I remember being so shocked at how calm she was and how she communicated. And she didn't seem scared in that situation. And she was willing to help do what needed to be done. And it was like amazing. 
so you, you needed her around to, for your own protection and well-being I, really <laughs> i think so yeah i think it was like self-preservation hey man i need you okay. I, I, I don't know if this boat's gonna be around tomorrow but that's fine oh, that's really cool it's you and me yeah. yeah yeah so it went from it went from that so you were then basically in miami as a couple and then did you decide okay at a certain point we're gonna head back over to the caribbean how what, where did the story go from there yeah, we we're basically planning on going to the Bahamas all along. So we just went up to Miami to make the short crossing from there to Bimini. And um, we we're traveling with this older guy who was single-handed, Sterling, on this crazy trimaran. And he sort of um, was leading the way, like he was the experienced sailor who was gonna show us all these sweet spots in the Bahamas. And through the course of that, he, kind of started talking about the Dominican Republic, like it was the best place to be on earth. It's so cheap. It's a great spot for hurricane season. So that kind of became our goal where, okay, we need to get the boat to a safe place for hurricane season before we run out of money so that we can fly back and do Make some work money. to keep it going. Yeah. And yeah, that's what we did. So it formed as we were traveling and it yeah. was due to Sterling just his intel yeah do you know when you so okay so when you were in washington and you were like working at the a golf course mm -hmm. yeah when you work at, did, did you ever picture a life really where you would be like on a boat in the caribbean like living month by month figuring out work figuring out cash because it's it's a crazy life to aim for you know if you've got something stable up north and right. uh, you've got jobs and stuff it's right. a massive transition I think the weird part is that my life growing up was so stable mm. that I actually craved like some chaos in that yeah, respect. Yeah. Like I remember telling my parents that I actually wanted to struggle. I wanted to have a hard time to kind of find out what I was made of. And I always knew that I wanted to travel. Mm. And my mom definitely planted that seed early on. She said, it's important that you leave this town of 500 people, you need to figure out that there's a bigger world out there. And, you know, you can always come home when you're done exploring. You know, I think they figured that I would be done at some point and I would want to come home and settle down. So when I got on a small boat with a strange man, they were a little freaked out. But <laughs> <laughs> since then, they've turned a corner and they're extremely supportive. Do they call it so, so, so Michael's mom... <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? I was saying, do they still call you strange man? Is that how they refer to you? Uh, <laughs> maybe behind my back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but Michael's mom grew up racing sailboats. Oh. Yeah. So, so she knew that side of the sailing world. So she thought Michael was crazy. Mm -hmm. And actually, I just had a conversation with her like two days ago. She was recalling the first time I talked to her on the phone as Michael was coming down. Um, Michael put her mom on the phone with me and she remembered her takeaway after that was oh my god I know more about sailing than Joel does and <laughs> because you know and she did and she I told her you probably still do and she's like I don't know about that I mean we've done quite a bit of sailing lately and who knows but she's I mean, her dad was really one of those you know, get the whole family involved. Mm -hmm. We're going to race. We're going to, you know, struggle and go out there in, in the bad weather. And we're going to clean the bilges. And so she looked at Michael like she was insane. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But cruising's a lot different than racing. Um, Yeah, so, so different. And you learn a lot more as well because you're always on the boat. I mean, when you're racing, it's like you're going out for a day or a couple of days or, or, well, maybe a year if you're like doing a clipper race or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like you do, I think I didn't, you do learn a lot more when you're cruising full time because you're constantly studying the weather, you're constantly looking at anchorages, currents, you know, you're Mm -hmm. really studying the geography of the lands that you're around and that type of stuff as well. What about you, Joel? So like you, you were brought up in a similar type of place. Was your background like quite stable and land-based? Uh, I mean, very different background than Michael. Yeah. Uh, but land-based. It was land-based though. Sure. Yeah. So no, no one in my family's ever had like, you know, I get, I think some of my family in Denver has like, you know, a motorboat they take out on the lake. But there's no sailors or anyone traveling. Most of the family that I know that I've met is, uh, you know, they pretty much stay where they're, where they're born. Mm-hmm. But my upbringing was different than Michael's for sure. Um, yeah, it, it was, I, I don't know if it was stable. It, it was, it was great. I mean, I had, I had a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of, I guess I don't know where to go with this one. <laughs> so <laughs> it was yeah. it was a pretty typical American, you know, upbringing. You know, I, I you know lived in apartments and moved around a lot. And my parents they um, they split up a lot, so it was like there was a lot of that going on. So I think I had I was um, I don't know emotionally maybe not very stable because um, of that type of situation, um, the divorcing and. And they actually got remarried. And so that I think really like was a big challenge for me and probably still is. Mm. Um, so that wasn't very stable, but as far as like, I always had, you know, food to eat. I always had a place to sleep. And, you yeah. know, now that I look back, you know, an apartment that has a shower, hot water and a refrigerator, nice toilet. Need. I mean, yeah, I had it. I had everything yeah. you need. Yeah. So was this quite... whole trip has really helped me to gain appreciation for that. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because so we like... kind of struggled as a family, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it was like it was kind of one of those trying to trying to make ends meet every month kind of a mm. thing. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did you have like a natural instinct to want to explore and go and see somewhere different? Uh, it happened at about eighteen. Yeah. Oh, right. And then all of a sudden, I just um, wanted to get out of this um, town, Spokane. And Mm. so I lived, you know, Michael grew up in a small little town of like 500, which is like just outside of Spokane. It's like an hour drive. And Spokane is more of a bigger city type. Um, I don't know the population exactly, but it's it's just a much bigger place than St. John. So different kind of. I feel like you always had that, like self-exploration though if that makes sense like he was always pushing himself he was really into skateboarding he was like kind of like challenging himself always doing maybe risky things like chasing adrenaline that sort of thing yeah and growing up skateboarding that like I think that that formed a lot of um my mentality is you know when you're skateboarding it's just you Mm. and you know you're creative out there and you, you do it for yourself. You know, you don't really have anyone watching you most of the time you're out there, you have your goals and you feel great when you, you know, you have this goal. I want to kick flip this six stair and you try it like a hundred times and you fall 
and then you finally land it and you're just and you know it's just for you maybe you know maybe nobody sees it and that's mm. you know maybe you're, you're with a friend or two and but it's really it's you got to be self-motivated kind of then that was yeah. my first well it wasn't my first job but when I left um and I was in Arizona my first job interview in Arizona I took this psych psyche test yes yeah, so and yeah and it came out and the, the manager was like you know we really don't want to hire you because it's like what we're seeing here is that you're um like you're self-motivated that you don't respond well to like authority or you're not really a team player mm. you're very like and i i agreed with that like i am self-motivated i do things for myself i don't really look for anyone to give me a pat on the back what and was the job it was a it was a sales associate at brookstone if, if you've heard of brookstone i don't see it in a lot of places but it's this weird store that has all sorts of the main thing is like it has massage chairs has like okay. tempur beds but it has all these little gadgets it's like christmas time is where it just goes nuts it's a christmas yeah. kind of a weird gifts a lot of just weird like massaging gifts and who like random things like remote control helicopters i used to fly little helicopters around but like my main thing was to sit people in these big like five thousand dollar massage chairs and just get them comfortable and get them and get talking to them and then sell the chairs you know and i actually did really well selling massage chairs see i would have thought for a job like that so i'm i'm working oil and gas but i do like the uh, hr side of it now so we do psychometric tests and like one of the number one rules is never reject someone for a job over the results of a psychometric test just use it as a tool to ask them further questions and figure out who they are because it's very like momentary based if you're in a bad mood and you get a question which is like oh what would you do in this situation if you're in a bad mood you're like oh kill them all i hate them i can't deal with this and you, know, you just walk away Whereas yeah. if you just have like a really compassionate conversation with somebody you might feel like oh let's talk this out you know let's mm -hmm. let's make friends so it, it can be completely based on the moment but yeah like you said so they offered you the job and you actually did really well at it yeah i thought yeah. so mm -hmm. well yeah i got some rewards and i've always wondered you know like i've i've been to a few of these stores and I'm not one for massaging at all. Like, I don't mind human contact, but if somebody tries to rub like my shoulder, I'm like, well, you know, take it easy. I'm not interested. I really don't I like just it. don't get that, man. That's so good. there's been two occasions in my life where I've been through a massage process. Um, one was in Malaysia and I was comfortable with that because it was a sports massage and it was this massive guy and he was just like getting his elbow in my neck. And it was weird because it was in like this massage parlor that had like these really big fish tanks. And they're all like little Malaysian people. And I'm like six foot two. And I was really big at the time. And he's like, oh, take your shirt off. And all these like little Malaysian guys, oh, so big, so big. I was like, this is so strange. And he was like getting in my elbow and stuff. But I was okay with it because I had a knot and he was getting rid of the knot. And then the other one was when we were in, um, I can't remember, some, some other place in Asia. And it was one of the, um, it was actually really cool. cool. It was like a spa where they've got like these racks that they hold on to and then they walk across your back mm. but I, I had to cancel the thing i was like listen you need to stop i'm not enjoying this at all <laughs> my wife loves it she's um probably like once every three days she'd be like oh you know i've got to go for a full body massage i'm so tense and i'm like sweetheart you've been saying this for four years like just just go for one if you need to go for one. <laughs> she's never going to get around to it but i've always wondered like who buys these massage chairs 
you can get a car or a massage chair right so I, so I look at these things i'm like it's it's like you're like a lazy boy that's nice beer you know maybe a little ashtray for a cigarette you know lay back like they had one on friends like joey and chandler used to have them so like pretty cool but a mat like so much money for a massage chair yeah yeah and people would come into the store with no intention of buying a massage chair you, that's what was hilarious. you don't go chair. to a mall they weren't looking for a massage chair and, and most of them of course there was there was financing you know some very few of them actually very very few of them actually pulled out the cash and bought it up front most of them were like yeah you know you can get this chair for you know a hundred dollars a month for this long all you gotta do is qualify you know and so they're in there and you know you're showing them the settings, you're handing it to them, and then you kind of ask them some questions. And yeah, if you want, you know, we can just see if you qualify. You know, we get their name, a couple of things, and I'll take it to the computer while I got them set up. And well, hey, you qualify. Yeah, you can, you can get this thing delivered at your house in five days. And, you know, you don't have to pay anything right now. And uh, you just kind of pay this much a month for this period of time. And that was and most... you could be the best salesperson ever. Like you are selling people five thousand dollar massage chairs who don't even want. Them. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, all I would do, and this actually went. Um, I mean, this transferred into further on in this boat journey where I had to do some real. I had to do some door knocking, which was that. That's the highest level. That was difficult. Yeah. But really, what it was is learning to connect with people, and I really didn't care that much if they bought the chair or not. I was generally enjoying myself and I, I love massages. I loved the chairs. I believed in them. I used them when people weren't in there. And so I would be like, you got to try this, you know, and, and I would just connect with people. I would talk to them and I really, it wasn't a make or break for me to sell the chair. Um, it was just, you know, I, I was competitive, so I'd love to sell the chair, but I remember really it was more of having conversations, getting to know people. And then they would ask a question that would lead to it or, you know, it would come up sometimes and that was my style. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so what I was saying, I was like, who, who goes into a place wanting to buy $5,000 massage share? The truth is nobody. Nobody. Um, yeah. <laughs> they just encounter a really good massage chair salesperson and they end up getting one. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what they, they don't know they need it until you sit them down. Until they meet Joel. Yeah. Go, oh my God, yeah. I need one of these. Yeah. How long did you do it for? Um, it was about a year and a half. It was, right. I was going to a school in Arizona. So it was in, uh, it was in Tempe, Arizona. It was, a, it was in a mall. So I was like, you know, in just one of those little stores in the mall. And uh, yeah, about a year and a half. So, okay. So you both ended up back in Washington working at the same golf course. So like, Joel, did you go from Arizona back to Washington? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I went back home and and Michael was still in college and I had come out of this golf specific school. So I got this really fancy job. I thought it was pretty fancy at the time. And I was a golf pro at the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf Course. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful golf course. You know, it's a high end, $220 is what they per person is a uh, regular round in peak season, 220 oh, US. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, they had like a hundred caddies there. So it was wow. mandatory that you take a caddy. Yeah. It's, it's like mandatory. So not only do you pay the 200 
whatever for your own round, but you take a caddy. They have the world's only floating green, movable floating green. So it's like a par three. And there's just green just out in the middle of the lake. And it's like the landscape is perfect. You know, everything is on point. How'd and you get they have it? a little boat, a little boat. They have this little boat driver. <laughs> no yeah, way. it's on a cable. Yeah, it's on a cable. So you have to sail to the green. Uh, they don't sail, unfortunately. It's just, just a this, little motorboat. They call it. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's on a cable. So the boat driver isn't even steering. Like, it's just on a track. It's just oh, so he's like off. doing this or something. Yeah. Well, it just gives it gas and goes over there, you know, yeah. and drops them off. But it's a, it's a unique experience. Yeah. It's just a strange novelty of the, it's yeah. a strange idea. How do we yeah. make this unique? Let's make the green and People come from all over to play this course. All you know? over. You know, what was the green yeah, made of? The huh? What was it made of, the green itself? Because it was floating. That's a cool. Uh, it looks like a, it, it, the construction of it was... I, I I'm, I'm not really even sure. Yeah, there was it's like dirt a barge all over the top. I don't know what yeah. was like like what floating it. Yeah, but... I mean it's like there was wood planks all the way around the side, hmm. and yeah, the top it was just right. It was like grass, pristine green, mm -hmm. nice grass on top, and and then there was a little place underneath where I never went that was like an operation room, and you could drive the green back and forth, <laughs> and the whole thing was kind of like a barge. You know, I don't know. It's like you know those big cement boats that just float yeah. somehow it was, yeah i don't it's know the, the same as the picasso situation there's probably some lsd involved <laughs> in the design of this that is very strange i yeah can you imagine that I conversation we've yeah. got to build the floating it was hagadon's dream yeah. and he was right and you know it was the centerpiece of the whole town the quarter lane is the town and mm. people came all over to play this golf they still do to mm. play this golf course and then they proceeded to spend money all throughout Coeur d'Alene in the resort. And, you know, the, the inclusive experience is you stay in the resort. It's a really nice resort. And then you take this, this really nice wooden boat across the lake, this beautiful picturesque lake to the golf course. And you get dropped off, you know, on the dock with your golf clubs and the caddy meets you and takes your golf clubs off. You don't even see them. Mm. And you have this nice, you know, experience and your club, there's your golf cart sitting there with your clubs and you have michael come up yeah. and michael's your caddy and mm -hmm. you know she's super friendly and you know it's uh it's a whole experience and away you go yeah that does sound pretty exclusive how, how many months of the year can you actually play golf there because i know in Ooh. that part of the world it gets pretty um yeah absolutely Maybe freezing cold <laughs> yeah peak season was three months three months June, July, where it's and actually August. pretty nice but maybe six months total that the course is open Right. Yeah, I think the whole idea yeah. was to try to give an app like a, a non-member the member experience. So mm -hmm. like he tries to make up it's a public golf course open to anybody. Yeah. And okay. and what what he's trying to do is make you feel like, you know, you have a million dollar membership at the nicest golf course in the world. Mm -hmm. So when you play there, that's really the mentality and everybody's kind of on the same page. All the yeah, staff. That's really cool. Is that like a tips based type of job where you don't oh, yeah. get a salary? Yeah. Michael's job was mm -hmm. right. Yeah, the caddy is a tip. Okay, so you you were a golf trainer at that place. Yeah, I was yeah. mainly I was in the pro shop. I was you know I was running like just checking golfers in every day. I was like kind of the face. You know, I was always wearing the newest clothes. They would give me like a, a new wardrobe every year, oh, tons of shirts and pants. And so my job was to wear the clothes and you know look good, 
be a living mannequin living walking mannequin and <laughs> but be personable you know and you know you're the you're the first one that they see when they're checking in and but yeah and then I started teaching golf and things like that do you still play yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't when played in two years. No, we just played the other we, day. We just played, awesome. but we were on the boat for two years. We didn't pick up a golf club. So, yeah. did you play out the golf course? The no, we played at my okay. hometown course, which is right. really small and simple, but it's awesome. We love yeah. it. Yeah, it's real small. How good Same. are you both at golf? Well, right now, um, pretty pretty bad. No, <laughs> I, I mean, practice a little bit. Yeah, uh, well, I, let's see. I shot an 86. We're better than most. And Michael shot an 84. She beat me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but we hadn't played in two years, so it was pretty rough, you know. I yeah, think I mean, it's go from To go from not playing in two years, and that's that's okay. That's not, yeah, I mean, I had fun. I can enjoy myself. And yeah. I think to really develop at golf, you should at least have be able to dedicate a, a couple of days a week consistently. Yeah. Otherwise, it's hard to really mm-hmm. expect much. It's such like, I, I played basketball when I was in high school and then when I was in college. And basketball is a sport where there's a lot of margin for error in when you aim because the ball is a certain size, the hole is a certain, uh, the basket is a certain size and th- there's a lot of places to move around the court. When it comes to golf, you have one swing and such an acute movement to get absolutely perfect. And if you are a tiny bit off, you've destroyed it. It's not like, oh, I missed and I can go and get a rebound or whatever. It's like, you've, and everybody who's stood behind you thinks you're an idiot. Um, so true. Yeah, and like you have, you have to play with people who are the same standard as you. And you have to make sure that you're the last ones on the golf course. Because if you're bad, you're going to hold everybody up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did it for a little while. Uh, when I lived in the Middle East, I was in... Um, oil and gas and it's like standard like you just you go out and you socialize with people on the golf course so i got i ended up okay but uh you have to you have to practice so much um you have to go to the driving range you have to practice with all the different clubs um i got one of the nets that i set up in in the um garden for the apartment so like every other day if i wasn't going to the course i was just like practicing swinging down in the garden um, is that on your own or was your company like actively encouraging you to Ah, so yeah, that was a pretty unique situation. It's actually possibly the best golf course in the world (laughs) where I did this. So it's the Emirates Golf Course in Dubai. This Mm. is this is like three hundred and fifty around US, something Mm. like that. And um, my best friend at the time, who was a project manager of an oil and gas company, he was given an annual membership for him and ten guests. So whoever he wants to take. And uh, yeah, when he didn't have any clients to take out, he just used to say to like me and four other guys, he was like, oh, let's go and do a round. And yeah, all the drinks were free. Um, <laughs> so it was great. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so awesome, it's, it's amazing. They had, a, they had a nine hole as well, which was a bit better for the summer because like in Dubai, it gets to like, um, I suppose like in Fahrenheit, that's about 110 or 120. It, it gets like above 50 degrees. It's on, you can't be outside for that long. Like it, you, you won't survive it. Um, but uh, yeah, so in the summer months, it's okay. You can tee off at like seven or eight in the morning, do a nine hole. Um, but yeah, you would easily get through like 10 beers without going to the bathroom. Like you just do 10 beers, you just sweat it out and you get, and you get back to the house and you're still thirsty. Um, oh, no. so yeah, you don't get drunk. You just, you're just walking around sweating so much. You're drinking all this beer and you're just not getting drunk because it's just going straight through you. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, it was. I was okay at it, but it was like if you don't practice, you just lose the ability to actually play a, a decent game. Mm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So you were you were both working there when you. Okay, so you were both working there when Joel, you decided that you wanted to take off and go sailing uh, i actually had just i i um, took a job at a different golf course yeah uh, hayden lake country club which is close and i worked there for one year okay. and um it, it was after that year i called matt and i told him i'm not coming back next year and that was really hard to do i had built like eight years of experience mm-hmm. and in the golf industry that's really you know pretty important is really just your experience and connections and so i didn't feel like I was going to be able to get that back Hmm. but Michael was still at the resort at that time yep but I we were in California so we were also what where the money was how we saved up for the boat was we became caddies in uh at Bighorn in in Palm Desert okay and Bighorn is a really exclusive it's a crazy golf course um it's a membership only and Tony and Jared and I all were caddies so you all went down there for the for the cash mm-hmm. yeah 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 and can we were earn, just... can you earn a lot of money doing that because if you're if you're like you know a caddy and you know like donald trump turns up some like billionaire golfer or something do you not just get like uh it's really i mean it? at that golf course you don't really get i mean there were some crazy tips but in general it was always like 200 dollars was like a pretty standard for a foursome and that and that would take you like four hours to, to six at the most you know if you have some crazy golfers yeah. but you'd also get members that were really fast that knew the golf course and would try to play as fast as possible so you might get done in three or two hours and um sometimes you do two loops in a day that was mm-hmm. that was the thing so yeah. then you'd make four hundred dollars in one day and that was all cash and you claim what you want but you're a private contractor and you know it's a little dicey because you're not really on paper and if you do one little thing you know you can be out of there yeah um and that's just the way it goes so you have to be professional and know what you're doing and but basically the way you guys saved up for the boat is you cut all expenses yeah i mean it was both it was cutting expenses was a big thing yeah yeah getting rid of the car and the car payment and knowing we had uh did we have, I think we had internet, but yeah, we had no TV and we just cut all our costs down. I remember we just basically had rent and we were splitting it. Yeah. And, um, we, at that time while we were saving up, I mean, we didn't, uh, do much of anything other than just work and come back to the apartment and mm-hmm. walk on a slack line or go to the pool. But everything we did was, you know, free stuff. Walk on a slack line. Yeah. I was really into slack lining. Oh, you can do that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh. really into slacklining. Um, I haven't been really lately, um, but like while we were saving up for the boat during that time, I started walking on a slackline like every day. And you know, I still can you still on. do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I can My walk life. on a slackline all day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't do the tricks. I just like to walk back and forth. And, yeah. you know, I can walk backwards and turn around just little things. You know, I can kneel and I just like to really meditate, especially if I put some music on. It's like the ultimate meditation for me. It's just you and the tree that you're staring at. <laughs> and I just look at that tree. I'm telling you, I see faces in the tree. 
that's and I and I just start to mimic the faces I see in the tree. I'll see, the, you know, trees. They have all these things. That, that you sound crazy. I'm telling you, that's what I do, and then I just walk, and I'll walk for uh, I'll walk for a long time. Yeah. How yeah. did you How do you get into that? It It looks in, It looks like it's one of those. You start with the, the stick, don't you, to balance you? I never used a stick. No. So you just got on and you could just walk on a rope. Well, so okay, that that brings in. The very, very first job we got to save up, all three of us, we left and we went to Oregon and worked on a weed farm. You've been all over. Huh? You've been all over. You've been everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, but at this farm, it it was like a camp. You you sleep in tents, you wake up and you work like 10 hours a day, but they had a slack line. Yeah. 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 Just trimming, just everything that needed to be done from the outdoors um, cutting things down to, uh, you know, just everything to the, to the final, you know, trimming them, just whatever had to be done is that was my first time seeing or doing any of that, but there was a slack line set up and I just, <laughs> I just, dangerous. yeah. And it was just at the top. And I remember, you know, in the morning I'd get, I'd go, I'd wake up early before we'd start. I saw that and was in, immediately like, entranced with it and i would get up every day and i'd go up there and just try to walk on it and i was not good for a long time my whole goal was just to get across it Mm. and it took me a long time just to make it from one side to the other and um you know after we left there i went and bought one and just kept doing it who's who sets up this slack line on a weed farm it was the owner oh yeah, I mean, he had a he had, he had he had a half pipe, he had a half pipe up there as oh, well. No way. Yeah, a little half. It was a mini pipe. So we would we would uh, I mean we had skateboards and a lot of us were skateboarders. So we would skateboard on breaks or in the morning or afterwards. And uh, there was a slack line and there was a gym like outdoor gym. Just, was this like a was this a proper legal farm or was this like from many years at the ago? Time, at the time, it wasn't. Right, I remember watching a. Um, but it was. Yeah. I can't remember which channel it is on YouTube, but I watched the um, the documentaries where it takes you into the factories and the farms, and it shows you, you, you know, how they treat them and what chemicals they put in all that stuff. And I remember watching one, and it was a guy. It was an outdoor farm grow, and the guy had a half pipe uh, around the back of his farm. I can't remember where it was, but I'm really oh. going to try and find it. <laughs> I can't imagine it was this guy. I don't really want to say names or anything. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, there was just for a time and we were out of there. And it was weird because, you know, it was big and the neighbors all knew. And it, it was like it was it wasn't technically legal, but I'm sure the officials knew about this place. I mean, it wasn't yeah. necessarily like in hiding. You know, he had neighbors. Everybody knew about it. There was different properties, so was there some indoor areas as well? There was a, well, it was um, like, you know, uh, like a kind of a greenhouse, not like inside, but it was covered up. What was um, it before was some... it was a weed farm? Was huh? it a veg- was, what was it before it was a weed farm? I have no idea. If it was a vegetable farm before it was a weed farm, it must be the same place. It, right, it, I'll check. it could be, but I just, <laughs> I'll have to watch it because I just can't imagine but it had, yeah, I mean, because there was a lot of it was just outdoors. There was no covers or anything. It's just, you know, plants like I've never seen rows and rows of them. 
And then there was a couple areas that were covered up and you'd go in there and there was just that section. I'm not sure why some were covered and some weren't, mm. you know, I, I get yeah. like getting stoned and going on a half pipe seems okay. I get that. But like getting stoned and walking across a tightrope, that's sounds like a recipe for it's a lot like, of disasters. It's not a bad idea. Actually. It's a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Sometimes you get like really zoned into whatever task it is. So yeah, maybe, it, maybe it works really well from that point of view. <laughs> yeah. Was... So you've really been everywhere and done everything. No, no, not at all. But I have, yeah, I've done, I've been a lot of places. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, just... When, what brought on the original thoughts of buying a sailboat and sailing around the world? Because I know like your long-term plan is to sail back to Greece. Mm -hmm. So obviously I know that was tied into the boat because the boat came from Greece. But, but when was that moment when you decided I want to buy a boat and sail around the planet? Like what? What triggered that? Well, and that's where this whole thing is. That's where the weed comes in. No, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's more of a, I didn't really have a long-term goal. Michael and I were just talking about this. Um, you know, when Tony and Jared left, I really was sticking with an idea of like doing my best right now and, I, and not knowing where it was going to lead. So for a long time, I didn't really have a goal to sail anywhere in any particular area i just had the goal to you know every day i would work on the youtube channel and i would work on myself what i thought was me growing as an individual that was important to me so i really wanted to read and learn because i didn't think I, I i didn't think i developed that you know growing up and so i got this idea i wanted to read and i wanted to work out and just try to be healthy and i also wanted to you know, live, I wanted to stick this dream out with the boat. I had the boat. Um, Tony and Jared left it to me. So I didn't want to let the boat sink. I didn't want to give up on it. And so it was more of like every day doing what I could to keep the dream alive, just to keep the boat afloat and to try to make YouTube, um, which I loved YouTube because it was, you can be creative mm -hmm. and you can say or do whatever you want on camera and then you can edit and you can put your own heart and passion into it and make your own creation and share it with people. So yeah. I loved that. And so I just really focused on those, those things right there. And it wasn't until Michael came around that, you know, and Sterling started talking that we got this idea to get the boat safely to loop run, mm -hmm. but you know, that was still the same mentality where here we are today. And in order to do the best I can, the boat needs to be somewhere safe for hurricane season so we need to get it there so it was every day wake up and try to move the boat and and it just slowly started to form and michael is really goal oriented and it wasn't like until the boatyard where michael started to influence me and we're a team now and i think she's really good at having the long-term goals and i'm still pretty much in that i focus more on what i do today wake up and I want to just, you know, I, I want to play, I want to be a great guitar player. So I don't really know where that's going to take me, but I play the guitar, you know, um, every day when I can, you know, minus a couple of times when we're traveling and flying. But for, for over a year, I've been waking up and playing the guitar. Um, same idea where I don't know where that'll lead, but I love to play the guitar. I love music. And so I focus on what I'm doing right now and I'm kind of like letting, letting, that go wherever it goes yeah 
Yeah, that's really cool. Right, I've got a question. So, Michael, <clears throat> so Joel is like super, super creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, has Joel changed much since you met him and then you've spent time with him and like you've both grown as people? I think he's gotten less wild for sure. Okay. Yeah. And he, so he's like an extreme personality where he's like all in on whatever he's doing, whether that's good or bad for him. So as long as he can channel that in a like good direction, he's all right. Mm. Um, But I think he's become a lot more balanced through my influence. And I know I'm, I'm influenced by him where I'm learning how to focus and go deep because I'm a lot more scattered. I'm, I'm balanced I'm I'm moderate, but it's hard for me to really zone in and get like a lot out of any one thing. Cause I'm just mm-hmm. so distracted. And maybe that's a girl versus guy kind of trait as well. But yeah, he's definitely gotten a little bit more balanced through being with me. I've seen the I've seen the good side of being balanced, and so yeah. it's the goal of mine. Yeah. But where, he used to think like if I'm gonna do something, like I'm gonna go all in. You know, if we're if we're partying today, like I'm gonna drink beers until my body won't do it anymore. You know, and there was a that. moment in Georgetown, <laughs> Bahamas, where well, I thought he was dead. <laughs> he actually. <laughs> I think all great men have been through this, you know, <laughs> times where, you know, you do sleep thinking, am I going to wake up? Maybe not. So this was even crazier than that. So, I mean, I think we've been through, I mean, Joel's coordinated. He can walk on a slack line. He can skateboard. He can do backflips. He's got that down and he got pretty drunk one night at the chat and chill and we're dancing, having a great time. And he climbs up on this railing and I can tell he's about ready to do a backflip, except there's a string of lights above this railing. You know, he's gonna backflip back onto the dance floor where he probably would have taken someone out. But instead, this string of lights like tripped him, his ankle in midair, and he lands on his head, just Mm. splat on the dance floor. And he's knocked out with just a little trickle of blood coming out of the corner of his mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, I just watched him die. We've been together for like a month at this point and he's dead. Oh no. But he came to and we made it back to the boat and he woke up at some point in the middle of the night and thought he was paralyzed because he couldn't move his neck. And I was like, no, you're not paralyzed. We got back to the boat, it's gonna be fine. And he laid in the V-berth for the next six days, not moving, just- and I had pillows just propping my head. I couldn't mm. turn it in any direction. And, and yeah. I think that was a, a major turning point for him. Yeah, it was a big turning point for me. Yeah, cause he'd always been like, you know, you need to tell me if I'm, <clears throat> if I'm going too hard, if I'm partying too much, like you need to give me the sign, like it's time to cut it off. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna do, I'm that. Not gonna do that. You gotta yeah. set your own limits. You gotta figure it out for yourself and you figured it out cross yeah. the line <laughs> i suppose you get to the point where you think you snapped your neck 
<laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not it's that way. Neck. And really, it's just like, I don't want to go out that way. You know, you know, if, if, <laughs> if, it's, if it's chasing my dream and it's like, you know, out there in a storm and you're just yelling at this, the weather and, you know, and you're just fighting and you go, you know, that's, I can live with that. You know, that's an epic way. And you're, you're, you know, not like that though. Yeah. That's not how I want to go out. And, you know, it's it not a good headstone a lot. message, is it? You know, guys <laughs> trying to do a backflip in a nightclub. <laughs> Don't yeah. Make sure you look at look for lights before oh. you try the backflip. No, it's, yeah. it's not like when the ancestors and, you know, not the ancestors, the people who come after you, I don't know what they would be called. I don't know the, the correct term for that. Do you know like when they go to the go to a graveyard? Oh, this is your great granddad. This was this, this was this. And then it comes up to uh, Joel. <laughs> I yeah. do a backflip in a nightclub. Just don't be like Joel. Don't do it backflip. <laughs> Yeah. I've, I I used to do uh, gymnastics when I was younger um, from, I can't remember what age. I think I think it was like early teenager because I did basketball. So I could jump really, really high, um, like from a really, um, from a really young age. I just had incredibly strong legs. Can you dunk? Not now. <laughs> I could, oh, I could, you you I were could. able to throw it down. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily when I was younger. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had a back injury like... Um, I don't know, about five years ago, I had three discs slip out, which is crazy. So I've, I like did basketball, uh, I did gymnastics, um, did loads of weightlifting, and I slipped three discs doing one sit up on my living room floor. Um, yeah, I just got off the sofa one day when I was watching TV. I was like, I'll do some sit ups. I haven't done them in a while. I just did one sit up and then my back went. And then I couldn't walk for like a month. Um, yeah, it was crazy. They, I, I was meant to have surgery, but the um, the doctor said if you do have the surgery, you might find by the time you're fifty that they will seize and you'll start to like shrink in height and your mobility will be really bad. Uh, so you're better off waiting it out and have the surgery later on in life if you need it, and then just do physiotherapy. Um, but yeah, I, I've had quite a few incidents where I've like done backflips in nightclubs and bars and um, almost killed myself. So yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, quite a few. I never landed on my head in a nightclub, but um, yeah, festival. I went to a festival once. No, I did. I did land on my head doing a backflip um, at a concert. There's a band called The Darkness. I don't know if you know them. It's a rock band, right? They're amazing. If you're into um, like old school original rock, um, there were a band in the early 2000s from the UK that did like old school original rock. Um, but they it's they, they would have like long hair they would always come out bare chested so we went to um they did a concert in manchester and the the lead singer's name is justin i can't remember his last name but he enters the arena on a flying pair of tits so there is this pair of like i don't know 50 foot wide tits and they they come from the back of the arena and he just starts like flying towards the stage right? <laughs> It's amazing. So anyway, I got really excited at this. Um, so I said to like friends, I was, I was like, right, I'm going to start doing uh, somersaults. So uh, yeah, I just went straight in for like the somersault. But this was after I, I was shit faced. Like I, sh I should not have even been standing up. And um, yeah, I tried to do a back somersault. And that, I went on my head on that occasion. That hurt. Um, so yeah, all great people do these things, you know, I get it. You got to get it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've got to try it. Um, cool. So just like focusing on what's going on now and then what's going on in the future. So you've done your boat refit, which was the big part of your boat life because the boat needed a lot of work doing so you could take it further places. And I know that you just did like your first 
long passage really because this was like a four was it four or five days it was almost six days mm-hmm. and it was upwind yeah 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 that's upwind, up current up it, it, we, we left from saint thomas and we, yeah. and we went straight to Cariacou. grenada which is grenada mm-hmm. the little island just north of grenada what was it the, is it the wrong time of year to do that type of passage or did you like specifically want to get there and do like an upwind type of sail it it's it's pretty much always upwind i would say but again we were on this push to get the boat somewhere safe for hurricane season so we oh, could right. yeah. fly okay. out and see the family so we knew we needed to be further south because we weren't really keen on going back to Luperon. You know, we had a lot of time there. So we're like, okay, we'll get to Grenada. Cheap boatyard, good spot to be. Yeah, I I think it's important to mention like 90% of the cruisers who we talk to, they go um, to Martinique. There's islands that go all the way down Mm -hmm. and they kind of just do it in chunks. Yeah. They don't go straight down and across. Well, this year people are because you don't want to really sit well I mean if you have the time you can sit quarantine at all these islands and then explore but we really didn't have the time Hmm. um so we weren't planning on stopping but I haven't seen I mean with our with anyone that we've been in contact with nobody else has done the straight track one one Mm -hmm. couple tried to do it and they ended up um so our autopilot went out five hours into the trip that's what makes it pretty crazy is we hand steered the whole thing Mm -hmm. and this the same thing happened to this uh, other couple make way and they you know they did the smart move and they weren't really on a schedule and they went um you know they went back north and east they go to guadalupe to guadalupe yeah and then they waited for good weather and they you know from guadalupe you're further east and then you're almost just going south Mm -hmm. and you can uh, go to the next island and anchor and wait for good weather and so you can pick your weather windows and day you know, just wait for one day. It's harder to yeah. pick a six-day weather window. Oh yeah, you're probably going to get a you know a, a day or two where it's pretty hairy. Mm-hmm. But we were we felt ready, and you know they say the schedule is the most dangerous thing on a sailboat, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. believe that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I felt like we were in control, and we really, Michael. It's really important. Michael's sister had the bachelorette party, and we made it for that. And that was, you know, in the back of our head. But we weren't so tied to the schedule. I mean, we were watching the weather for like five weeks being like, okay, we're going to pick a really good calm window. It's, we're going to make it easy on ourselves. And it just never happened. It was just really consistent the whole time. Mm. 20 gusting 30, you know, one and a half meter, two meter seas. And that's what it was for the whole month and a half that we sat there and watch the weather, which isn't awful, you know, but it's not ideal for going upwind. Mm. So we kind of decided, all right, you know, it's it seems like it's going to be like this. We're not really waiting for anything to get better. So we just decided to go with just enough time to make it for the plane tickets. And we'd already had the conversation with my sister where it was like, you know, we're not we're not going to make tie it, ourselves to her. this schedule. We're probably not going to make it. We're going to miss the flights. We'll be there for the wedding, which is a couple weeks later. Um, but, you know, and she was totally fine with that. She doesn't want us to do anything dangerous out there. Yeah. But yeah, we, we decided that the weather wasn't going to get that much better. So we just went for it. And it was really, 
challenging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we put a double reef in the main <laughs> and, and we just left a double reef so we didn't have to go up and mess with the mainsail because we have to go up to the mast. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that was plenty of sail the whole time. And we just used our furler. We have a furling head sail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we, we really wanted to make sure we didn't overpower the boat and that was it double reef yep. main and we just played with the furler they small and so we we might have been able to make better time you know if we were willing to adjust the sails a lot more but it yeah. was we're conserving energy at that point we're like yeah. you know what we just need to rest when we can and hold the wheel when the other person needs rest and just sit tight for this marathon and we're gonna make it the autopilots are like so vital, you know, just to have like, like a five day passage is fine if you've got an autopilot. Um, like we were talking about the type of autopilot as well, because like the, the wheel one is they're, they're nice in perfect conditions, but then they're not great in anything other than perfect conditions. But yeah, like hand steering for five days. Like I know that people have done this for hundreds of years. But right. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they had bigger crews. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. yeah, we both agree it was the hardest thing we've ever done. Yeah, and yeah. Once you're in the middle of it, you know, then we got to the situation where it didn't make sense to go back. Mm. Um, it just, it just never made sense. Yeah. And the the line that we ended up taking wasn't close enough to the islands that we were going past to make any sense to go in and get rest because we kind of thought, oh, you know, these islands are huge. When we get in the lee of the island. We'll have some break from the wind and the waves and if we need to we could go anchor for the night or something if if we really need to get rest but yeah. the line that we were on we were so far away from the islands that mm. we're going past and we're not seeing these massive islands we never got 100 miles from an island yeah when we looked oh, at her yeah. we were still 100 miles out like the closest we were to guadalupe or any of those islands so there was a point you know around the third fourth day where we're tired but yeah. the idea of beating dead into the waves for a hundred miles sounds worse than kind of holding our 45 degree angle tack and just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, you know, I mean, I, I know the plans are eventually to get to Greece. So you'll do like an Atlantic at some point, mm -hmm. but um, that might be the hardest sail you'll ever do. <laughs> Very well could be. I hope you're right. We yeah. want to get a wind vane and, you know, it was just an electrical problem with our autopilot. We have a solid autopilot that it actually connects to a drum um, and that's directly connected to our rudder. It's down below, the you know, shaft, the yeah. rudder shaft and there's a chain and it's a Ray, uh, Raytheon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a solid heavy duty autopilot. It handles, but it's just, it was, and we just had fixed it but it was an electrical, it was something electrical. I was trying to figure it out while we were underway because it was five hours into the trip. We still had Wi-Fi mm. and we could still see the Virgin Islands. And I, I was researching and I decided, you know, to take our locker apart to go down there was a, was a, was a lot and it was going to be a lot of work. So I knew if I started trying to do that, we probably just need to pull in mm. and just bag the whole thing and try to fix it and then look for a new window. And which I was actually kind of in favor for. I was like, you know, we're here. We could just pull in. We could fix it. We could leave the next day. But I gave you the option. And and I told Michael, if you're not comfortable, then tell me now and we'll go in. You were confident enough. I said, I feel, I feel confident we can do it. But yeah. I did tell her. And I, I mean, I 100% would stand behind that. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if she wasn't comfortable, I said, you need to tell me now and we'll, we'll bag it. Mm -hmm. And she yeah. said, she, she said, we can do it. No, yeah. he did it. It, you know, it's, it shows you like how <clears throat> useful wind vanes are or like hydro vanes or, you know, whichever one you want to get. Um, you don't need any electronics. You just set the course with the piece of string and like you don't. Yeah, I mean, it. I saw, I saw, um, you know, Herbie's mm. set up there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, that's, that's what we want. Totally. Yeah. We love that and our electrical, you know, yeah. I, I don't think that's a well, bad Because honestly, I don't know that our autopilot, if it was even working properly, would have handled the waves out there. We were steering so much just to keep the waves from jumping in and flooding there the were times. There were times. There was quite a few times. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. There were definitely times where I wouldn't have trusted the autopilot. Yeah. 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 But then there, but we would have been able to get rest at some point. You know? That's there true. was hours where. That's true. Yeah. One thing which I've noticed about like the hydro veins or the wind veins or like whatever brand it is, they are so, so quick to react to any movement from the boat. Um, and I like on my autopilot, for example, I, I will be, I, I will probably make like a good 10 degrees off course for like 10 seconds or so before it will get back to the point where it's corrected itself. Where like with the hydro veins or the wind veins, because it's because they're so sensitive and the slightest movement just turns the rudder instantly. It's like, you just never, ever go off course. Um, even if you're in like really heavy conditions, they're expensive, but they're really worth it. I um I never saw any value in them. I was like, why would you get one if you got an autopilot? Like you just press a button, it's easy to play with string. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like they're incredible, especially if you're doing passages or if you're doing like overnight sales and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so useful. And then you've got an extra rudder as well. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. depending on which one you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. That's that's a huge thing, a huge goal of ours. We. I mean, before we ever leave for Greece, we'll have that, you know. Yeah, that will definitely be necessary. We're <laughs> yeah, going to have two autopilots for sure. We'll yeah. have that in our autopilot. Yeah. Have you thought yeah, about I... timelines for actually getting over to the Mediterranean? Timelines? Ooh, that's, yeah. a, that's a dangerous I, word. I would I would give us three years. Oh, that's quick. Um, to, to be in the States because we want to leave from the Northeast Coast. Yeah. And we want to do a final refit there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we want to haul the boat out and really, I mean, we're going to do a refit now in Grenada. We're going to, we have some projects. We have a Dodger and some things we want to add. We're going to do yeah. the tow rail. Oh, nice. Um, Because we took on a lot of water. Poor Michael lost all our clothes. So like three years, I think is realistic where we're in the States. We've done our, our, our you know, second refit from now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we might be ready to go. Yeah. That's really soon. Yeah, but well, because we're going to give it like now. 10 years. We're going to do some cruising. No, like now we can go downwind or with the wind. Yeah. Um, no matter if we want to go back up to the Bahamas. Yeah. That was or... our whole goal with getting to Grenada, too, is we're like, okay, from this point, we're not sailing upwind any longer. Yeah. It's just been way too much past three years. Right. Right. It's, it's like it's we can so get back to Florida in like two weeks. Probably yeah. less. And yeah, it'd be like, a nice, easy sail as well. Yeah, it, yeah. so, I mean, it took yeah. us a long time to get to Grenada mm -hmm. the way we went, but. 
Yeah, I mean that's pretty that's pretty quick. I thought you were gonna give it like 10 years or something. <laughs> like that. I think that's realistic. That yeah. might actually end up being... it might end up 10 years. <laughs> that's probably the case. <laughs> you say three years, you gotta figure. You gotta figure, okay. More like, more like six nine. Or seven, nine. I mean, ten. when we hauled out in the boatyard, our goal was two weeks. We we're gonna paint the bottom and we, we splashed a year later. Now, based on those timelines, you may never make it to Greece. But so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've learned a thing. It's a lot of things snowballed from there. So <laughs> this boat could end up going through multiple generations of well, lineage before it ends up back in Greece. Our kids will sell our boat to Greece. Yeah, someone in the family will. We're yeah. not having kids on this boat. Yeah. <laughs> no, do you, with this, because I know the boat, it was built in Greece. Do you know anything about the history of how it actually ended up in the States? Like no. for people who owned it. Fortunately, we know very little about our exact boat. Almost right. nothing. Yeah, it's another yeah. one of those, you know, it's like the no survey, the no sea trial, and knowing no, no history on the boat. Those are all big no-nos, you know. Red flags. I yeah. would tell anyone buying a boat. Yeah, if you can, you know, if you can do all that, I would. Do you know where it was manufactured in Greece or which port it came from or anything like that? Yeah, I think Olympic Yachts is in Athens or was. Okay at that point in time we've got like you know the brochure and oh yeah there's a little write-up about the designer and dick carter and carter. yeah and it's a it was an offshore racer mm -hmm. and it was a, one of the first production boats where they had m multiple molds i guess oh right okay what year is it it's 74 yeah i suppose that would probably be around that type of time yeah yeah, I don't know where it's at as far as all production boats, but I do know it's the first one built in Europe. Yeah, I mean, for Greece, in Greece for sure, because they're not like they're not known. There was no, there wasn't that that many shipyards there that were like producing a heavy amount of boats for, for Europe. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, definitely think for Greece. Yeah, somehow it made it across. We don't know. Yeah, and we're. we're Banking on the fact that, you know, she did it herself and she could do it again. Mm -hmm. yeah, we looked into uh, the history of the Carter 33 and it did win a race, you know, in, in its class. Mm. And it was, um, they had 50 knot wins during that, mm -hmm. that, that race. And I guess it performed well and that's high wins, you know, so I've, yeah. to me, it's like, okay, it was racing offshore in 50 knot wins. So I feel like it's a pretty s solid boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, good choice then. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really big fiberglass. On accident. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're a lot better, like, though. We like, didn't know. The boats are so much better. Do you know like, the thickness of the hull and how they're made and stuff like that? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I just question if like some of the production boats that are made today will be around in 60 years. Mm. Um, don't know if they would. But yeah, like you can get some boats that are like made in like the 1960s and they're still they're, like, as solid as the day when they were first yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really cool classics yeah. cool pretty right. close we'll end it there guys because that is an hour and a half wow yeah that flew by that's so good we'll do we'll but we'll be doing one in greece as well in uh, yeah i can't wait it. for that yeah yeah so we're, we're looking forward we're to the podcast when we're in greece absolutely yeah, yeah cool all right Thanks. so i think this has been really great um I think we've learned lots about both your lives. It's really interesting. Some great stories there. It's really entertaining. And uh, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's great. Like the, the route that you've taken and the journey that you're on is, yeah, it's brilliant. It's really inspirational. Thank you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Really appreciate you doing this podcast. And... Yeah. We really keen to know a lot more about you. I mean, 
Oh, that's all boring. Oh, come on. <laughs> We're gonna oil and gas and gym, gymnastics and yeah. Yeah, gas. I think when we get to Greece, I think me and Joel might get along quite well with the uh, get a few drinks in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start doing backflips. I, I will try and tightrope. If if we get one set up, I will try. Really? Oh. Yeah, I'll try. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try. have to bring one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I left it on the boat. <clears throat> it's really oh, fun. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really fun. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's like the um the places where we're gonna go cruising and the I've just been having a look at like some anchorages that we can stop at and stuff and like the, the boat that we're spending time on. Like, yeah, it's gonna be good.